It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. We have reached Friday, the end of the week. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He is Jeff Fiegels. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we're here to break down all that is happening with the New York Giants and multiple ways to interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring at 201-939-4513. Can't get to the phones. You could use hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter or, of course, you can interact with the two of us directly on our own Twitter handles. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So yesterday they had OTA number three. Jeff and I broke down and reacted to what Brian Dable and Mike Kafka had to say. Players spoke after we closed up shop on our show. So we're going to get into some of the player reaction as well as Thomas McGahee, who is the lone carryover from the previous regime, in addition to Jerome Henderson, the secondary coach. So a lot to at least digest from that standpoint. And we'll also obviously open up the discussion as we move along here over the next 60 minutes. But Jeff, I thought a good place to begin is Daniel Jones. And this was really the first time that we heard from Daniel Jones since the team formally announced that it was not exercising its team option on the fifth year of his contract. So he clearly was asked about that. And Daniel's not a guy that is dramatic when it comes to things <laughs> like this. So we weren't expecting yeah. anything right newsworthy. But I thought the one interesting thing he did say, and we've brought this up multiple times on this program, it goes without saying this is a critical year for him. Why? Because he's a lame duck quarterback. And mm -hmm. the Giants could very well go in a completely different direction. They're under no obligation to retain his services after this season. And as opposed to him focusing, Jeff, on what he needs to do, because he was asked about, you know, what do you think you need to accomplish this season? He turned it into more of, we've got to show W's. Mm -hmm. And I think while the quarterback, you know, I can't paint about this all the time. The quarterback's not on an island. There are so many other factors that play a role into the quarterback's performance. But let's not be naive. Quarterbacks are synonymous with mm -hmm. team results, especially through the eyes of a front office. So when you're the starter, and you're not winning football games as a team component, then the team is going to look elsewhere. So his big response was, we have to start stacking those W's to give this team a better chance and, by connection, him more of a legitimate chance to remain the starting quarterback of this team. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, He's never going to – well, Daniel Jones doesn't give you much. You know, sure. he's pretty smart in that way, just like Eli. He well, he watched the, Eli. That's what yeah, happened, yeah. You could sit up there, and he can talk for 30 minutes and never say anything, <laughs> and that's quite the skill, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. Now, I guess none of us ever have that skill, but I, I certainly don't. Well, some um, would beg to differ, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm reading the transcript here. He said that um, when somebody asked him, you know, what do you do have to do this year to prove you're the franchise quarterback – um, and get that next contract. And his was, you know, I, he always says, you know, you know, I don't think that's really the mindset or focus. I think it's more about winning games and knowing that if we win games, here's yep. the big one. If we win games and we have a good season, then that should take care of a lot of things for everyone, including himself. Because by the, you know, by the way, if the quarterback is playing well and he's not turning over the football and they're scoring points and they are winning football games, well, you know, they, he's playing good. They're going to win some football games. Um, so I think, and when you look at it collectively, uh, he'll be judged on, on that. He'll also be judged on how many games he's going to stay on the field too, because I think that's a big, sure. a big uh, point of emphasis for this team wanting to know the health of Daniel Jones and can he go through. So those things, I think he's, he understands them. I think it was a good answer. Daniel Jones always puts the team first. He's always done that and he's going to continue to do it. But I think he, I think he knows, um, that he has to play well. And if he does, you know, listen, Lance, if he if he plays well and the and the Giants decide that they don't want to give him an extension on his on his contract and re-sign him or franchise him, then at least he can go down the road and get another job somewhere. Um, but I think if he plays bad, that's going to be you know it, it'll infringe on a lot of things. It's it's going to not he probably won't be back here. In fact, I know he won't be back here. And then the other thing is is that you know his chance to go and be a starter somewhere else would be diminished a little bit. So it's a big year for him to say the least, like you said. 
Durability is the top of the list, Jeff. I wholeheartedly agree with you. I, I think believe you. Yeah, yeah, that has to be the number one priority. He has to stay on the field. And that's before we even get into potential statistics and numbers. So he has to check that off the list. But then even when it comes to statistics, you know, let's go there for a second. We've received a lot of phone calls over the course of this offseason. And you and I have done shows together and other hosts. Mm -hmm. And fans always ask, well, what does Daniel Jones need to do to yeah. justify the Giants' right for saying we want to give him another contract and he needs to remain as the starter? And my response is, Jeff, that I don't know, even in an ideal situation, if I could tell you that they're saying to themselves, Daniel gets 25 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. I'm just throwing out a hypothetical ratio mm -hmm. that it clicks and it registers in the eyes of the front office. We absolutely have our guy because you could still argue, okay, he did regroup. He had somewhat similar numbers to his rookie campaign, but you also need to deep down believe that he can then continually do that, Jeff. For multiple mm -hmm. seasons, you're not making a commitment to a quarterback. And I'm not just talking about the Giants. I'm talking no, about no. any franchise. Yeah. Based on your belief that one good season is what's going to be the foundation, you want to have the belief and the confidence that this is something that I could sign up for for every single year. And just big picture perspective here, before I let you respond, Jeff, we are going to probably get into at some point this offseason, we break down all the NFC East teams. We go by position, mm -hmm. right? And we mm -hmm. talk about strengths and weaknesses. If you were to just look at the division overall and you go team by team, Jalen Hurts, Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott in comparison to Daniel Jones, my question when it comes to evaluating these four quarterbacks would be, of the four, who do you go into every season saying to yourself, I know exactly what I'm getting out of my quarterback, meaning there's a good chance he's going to duplicate his numbers production-wise season in, season out. Out of all four of those guys, Jeff, who would be at the top of your list? Dak. And I'm with you. Mm -hmm. um, but that, that's the mindset that I'm getting at, Jeff, mm -hmm. that I think you need to feel as a front office yeah. and a coaching yeah. staff before yeah. you commit long-term to problem, a quarterback. The problem you have is that Dak Prescott gave you some consistency in year M1 and year two that yep. he played. Daniel Jones has not. Uh, you know, obviously, Dak Prescott got hurt, was out of the game, you know, the rest of the season, and then got a contract. But, you know, his level of play did not mirror Daniel Jones at all. Um, and so I feel like that's the problem that Daniel Jones is going to run into with this new staff is that, you know, let's just go, let's just say, let's play a little game here. Let's just say that last year was the first year of Brian Dable and that and that Daniel Jones got, you know, the, the sample size that he got last year. Um, then he's going to go into this year. And so that would, that would have a bigger, in my opinion, a bigger sample size of how we can make a decision going forward. So I think it, it's going to be very difficult and putting a lot of pressure not only on Daniel Jones but on the organization themselves because if yep. they decide not to go with Daniel Jones, you're going to roll the dice one of two ways. You're going to go out and get yourself a free agent quarterback. Well, by the way, they have Tyrod Taylor on the roster till next year. Um, so, and the second thing is, you know, and the Giants aren't going to have a whole lot of money to go and, and invest in a $40 million a year quarterback. Um, or they're going to have to go and find one of these guys come out of college next year. And then, you know, there you go. You know, what's the, what's the chances of those young guys lighten it up the first year? Of course, it takes a couple years, you know. So I think it's a it's a tough decision for for Daniel Jones. There's no decision to be made here. It's just, you just got to play well. And, and let the thing, and he kind of says it in his in his press conference, what he was saying is that, you know, I just got to go out and do what I got to do, and it is what it is. I mean, I can't do anything about uh, anything that I can't control. The contract is something that he can't control and let, until they offer him something. Now you can control it. You can accept it. You can deny it. You can negotiate it. But as of right now, you, you just got to go out and play, and I think that you and I are both on the same page as far as we know that Daniel Jones can play. It's just how long can he play? How long can he stay on that football field? And I think that's the big question going forward. Well, and to your point, Jeff, it really comes down to he can control his own destiny based on his performance. Because 100%, the yeah. way you get the franchise to offer you that type of a contract you is play you well. go out. Yeah, correct. And you prove that week in and week out, they know exactly what they're getting out of you. But you brought up another interesting point. Because I agree with you. If this was year two with Dable, 
you would have more of a sample size between the coaching staff and the front office to truly evaluate Daniel Jones's fit mm-hmm. for this scheme. The problem is, given the fact that he's worked with a variety of different coordinators and head coaches, it seems every two years, Jeff, we're resetting the clock with Daniel Jones, mm-hmm. right? Because now you have a new mindset, new individuals evaluating him, but you don't have a foundation. Mm-hmm. The foundation that was built with Jason Garrett is thrown out the window. Dable's not going to evaluate Daniel Jones based on what he did with Jason Garrett or Freddie Kitchens. He has to have his own take on mm-hmm. what Daniel Jones could do within Dable and Kafka's system. And the same thing with Joe Shane, the way that Dave Gettleman viewed Daniel Jones, very different than Joe Shane's eyes because Joe Shane also has no allegiance. And here's the thing, and we've seen this with other players on the roster. It's no different than James Bradbury, Logan Ryan, all of these seasoned vets that have since parted ways with the team. You have to understand, when you have a GM and a coaching staff that wasn't responsible for bringing them in, then all bets are off. They don't necessarily have any obligation that they have to hold on to them. So Daniel Jones has no ties to anyone new in this building because they didn't draft him. And they don't necessarily have a history with him or connections going back to his days at Duke. So he doesn't have the security blanket of, we already built that relationship. I have film out there from a year ago, and now we're working on the second layer. This is now a completely fresh slate. So the clock is ticking. I'm not saying that there's an overwhelming amount of pressure because Daniel Jones can't think like that. If he does, he's going to be pressing the envelope too much. But it is fair to say that he is a bit on the clock Jeff, with respect that every game, all 17 games, if you were to put them on an island, Mm -hmm. they carry a little bit more weight versus if he had multiple seasons with this same regime. 100%. And I I tell you, you know, all he can do is go out there and play. I think the biggest thing for him is if he does stay on the field, then just eliminate his mistakes and be efficient and effective. And I think that what Brian Dable and Mike Kafka are doing with him right now, by just reading kind of the tea leaves and some of the, the responses and the questions are being asked both of those guys and their responses is that they're wanting Daniel Jones to go out there and play. They're wanting him to be a little bit aggressive, be, you know, make, throw the interceptions in the OTA practice. We don't care. We want to see if you can throw these balls into tight windows. We want to see what your decision-making is when you're under pressure. So right now the evaluation has started. It's, 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 it's in, it's in motion. And so the next step, the big step, will be the 17 games. But right now, training camp, the competition, Tyrod Taylor is a great guy to have in camp because he's going to push you. Yep. He's, he is really going to push you. Um, I was watching him, the, I think it was Tuesday, when, when Paul and I did the show. And, uh, I mean, he was making some beautiful throws. Um, very accurate. Just kind of takes command of the offense. You can tell his presence. He's very, very confident in what he's doing. And I also saw it in Daniel Jones, too. I saw them doing a lot of different drills that I haven't seen quarterbacks doing in the past. And that is has to do a lot with, you know, rolling out and, and footwork, getting, you know, being able to, when guys are diving at your feet, extending the play a little bit and not abandoning it. Because I think that that's what happens with Daniel Jones and not only Daniel Jones, but some of the running quarterbacks. I don't want to classify him, classify him as one of the running quarterbacks in the National Football League, but you know what I mean. He does like to get out yeah. of the pocket and he will take off. But I think what happens is, is that, if you're not fundamentally sound outside of that pocket um, and be and have confidence to extend plays, you don't have to do it with your feet. You can get the open receiver as long as you can see him and throw it. That's kind of what they were doing in these OTA practices with the quarterbacks on the individual drills. It was pretty interesting. They had all these dummies laid out. They had guys jumping at their feet. They had all this rollout stuff. And this offense, like we talked about yesterday, Lance, was that it's a quick release. It's get the ball out of your hands and get the – get the ball into the playmakers' hands and then let them go do some things. So, um, but I think Daniel Jones will handle it, you know, pretty good. It's just a matter of he's going to have to do some things to really impress the team. And it's just unfortunate because it's one year of a sample size for him and that's it, you know, but he can make the best of it if he does what he's supposed to do. Based on what you brought up with respect to the footwork drills, mm-hmm. understandable they would also go in that direction given what Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes do exactly. within their offenses, uh-huh. right? So yeah. you figure, okay, if they're going to take a page out of the Kansas City and Buffalo playbook and have the quarterback run similar concepts, mm-hmm. then you know Mahomes and Allen are very mm-hmm. good at extending plays and also being able to throw off the run effectively. So it's no surprise that they would have Daniel Jones run similar drills and similar concepts. And, you know, that's where also Daniel, I think, got in trouble in previous years where you try to do too much 
by rolling out of the pocket, extending plays, and you hold on to the ball a little too long, you cough it up. Or you're trying to throw on the run, and you get picked off. So that's why, as you mentioned, Jeff, the focus is get rid of the football quickly. And this goes back to what Dable mentioned, and even Kafka the other day. That's why they brought in guys like Wondell Robinson, and they're trying to benefit off of the presence of Kadarius Toney. Because why wait for those guys to run down the field 50 to 60 yards when you could have them catch a five-yard pass and then get 15 yards after the catch? Mm -hmm. That, to me, is something that they're certainly going to want to tap into, which should alleviate Daniel Jones's Mm -hmm. pressure and his decision-making. Now, I'm not going to tell you that Saquon Barkley is going to catch 90 footballs this year because of the two things that you just said. <laughs> Wendell Robinson and Kadarius Tony are going to take some of those receptions away from um, Saquon Barkley. But I wouldn't doubt if you Saquon Barkley has 60 receptions this season. They're going to get the ball in his hands just like they're getting the ball in Kadarius Tony and Wendell Robinson's hands too. It's quick. It's going to be fast. And by the way, all three of those guys are tremendous playmakers. They will turn, you know, something into something you know i mean they will make a play on a five little hitch five five yard hitch or just a little screen pass so that's what you're going to see and by the way if you're a quarterback and you've got those types of weapons and you're not being asked to throw the ball down the field every single time just think of what you have to go through if you're a quarterback and you're going to throw the ball down the field every time all the reads all the throws everything this is simple for him Simple for any quarterback. Just catch the ball, dump it off. I saw the other day they, they were taking snaps and literally almost throwing it, after, throwing it out of the snap. It's catch, boom, like that quickly, just out to the receiver or the running back. So, again, get the ball in the guys' playmaker's hands and let them make plays, and then it's going to be fun, fun to watch those guys <laughs> dink and dunk all over the place because, you know, you look Tyreek Hill, you look at all these little scap guys, man, they are fun to watch. Well, you oh, got yeah. two of them here, three of them. One hundred percent. Not fun for the defense to try to tackle them. No, 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 yeah. exactly. And and by the way, you know, you've got an offensive line now that we talk about that's improved, but they have no experience together. None of these guys think about it. Think about up and down that line. There's nobody that's played next to each other other than maybe Lemieux and Andrew Thomas. I mean, the rest of the team is just they've never played together. So that's going to be something that they have to get used to and, and guys have to get comfortable with each other. And we talk about that that um that uh what's the thing the word that we use all the time with the offensive lineman not the symmetry but the uh, uh well i think that holds true so, you know, continuity continuity that's the to? one we yeah. always use yeah so those guys got to be able to have you know because you want to know some of the tendencies that you're playing the guy right to you or your left of you you kind of understand as you start to play and, and practice with these guys over and over you kind of understand you got almost got a sixth sense of each uh, each other you know that when this guy's doing this, that there's something wrong, or you know that he's going to help you in a in a roundabout way without saying anything. So, and that's just that's just experience. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how those guys, you know, collectively get get better together through camp and 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 in the training camp. Yeah, that's going to come with time. You can't spin that differently, and you can't crossover steps. You just have to yeah. be patient in terms of those guys getting reps on the field together, and that's a product of what you were talking about. Think about it. The center, the right guard, and the right tackle are all brand new. Mm-hmm. So there's no way that any of those guys are going to have history under those circumstances. And that's why you hope that they don't miss time during training camp all the way through the preseason so that going into the regular season, you feel as if you've built some of that chemistry and some right. of that continuity that we were talking about. Lance Meadow, Jeff Eagles with you here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live as we are going over some of the highlights from OTAs and some of the takeaways from the press conferences, in addition to Daniel Jones, Aziz Ojolari spoke also to the media, and Aziz had mentioned that he put on about 10 pounds of muscle from the end of last season to now. He said the team did not tell him to do that. He said he wanted to do that on his own mm-hmm. based on the competition that he went up against last season because he said he played at about 246 last season, so he's about 255 right now is what he threw out, and He was very excited about the Kayvon Thibodeau selection because he feels, hey, now that there's going to be another guy opposite him that could draw some attention, that will hopefully open things up. Leonard Williams pretty much echoed similar sentiments that he figures, hey, now with these two young pass rushers, you hope that now opposing offenses are going to have to determine who do they want to draw the attention towards. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to pick and choose a little bit. So that seemed to be the similar sentiment. And the other thing that I thought was interesting when – you had Ojolari and Leonard Williams asked about the tone of the defense mm-hmm. and what Wink Martindale is all about. 
Leonard was on the record, and I'm paraphrasing, he said that this is by far the most aggressive defense I've ever been a part of. Now, it's not as if Leonard Williams has played for 29 teams, but guys talk, right? They understand what goes on across the league. So that clearly has been one of the things that has caught the attention of these players. They're very excited that Martindale is going to continue to push that pressure button and he's not going to peel back, it seems, throughout the course of the season or throughout the course of a game. Yeah, two things. I think that if you're a defensive player playing for Wink Martindale and you don't know anything about him and you go into those first couple of meetings, you're going to come out of it going, wow, this is going to be fun. <laughs> you know. And the other thing is, is with, with Ozilari and uh, Thibodeau on the outside, that gives Leonard Williams a lot of a lot of chances if those guys are off, those tackles are occupied and even double teaming. Um, you know, one of those Ojolari or Thibodeau, that opens up the that opens up the middle of the field for Leonard Williams, and so he's a big boy. Him and Dex, or you know, I would imagine start probably going to get a little bit more sacks from that inside position, the three technique that they play. So I think that's going to be really encouraging for them. And you know, as you're an offensive coordinator and you have those three guys on your line, you got you got to think about how you're going to address one of them. You know, or, or two of them, and it's just it, it's a great thing for because here we go talking a couple years ago about where is the pass rush for the Giants. Now we've got we got multiple guys we can talk about. Well, you got young guys, which is mm-hmm. always exciting because there's potential there. You don't have a lot of proven talent because sure. Thibodeau Wright hasn't played one NFL snap, and Ojolari had a promising rookie year. But mm-hmm. the other thing that I think is important to note, and this is not necessarily taking anything away from him, but he had the eight sacks, which set a Giants rookie record. And I understand Lawrence Taylor had more, but they weren't monitoring sacks during Lawrence Taylor's rookie year. Still had a pretty year. good year. Correct. But that's why Ojolari has the rookie record. But you're right, he does. But I was actually, I was looking a little bit closer in terms of the game breakdown, Jeff. And, you know, this even gets overlooked. It was actually very similar with B.J. Hill. Because you remember, B.J. Hill had, what, five and a half sacks his first three year. Three in one but game. Three, correct. Mm-hmm. So I always look at that. I say to myself, are the sacks spread out? Or did it come very much in bunches? So interestingly... Ojolari only had two and a half sacks in his final 10 games, Jeff. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. Well, a lot <laughs> of the sacks actually came relatively early in the season yeah. compared to what transpired later in the year. <laughs> you, know, you know what that is, right? That's coaching. That's game planning. I 100%. Mean, oh, know. I'm going to take notice of this guy on film, and we're going to eliminate him. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah the, he, he probably came into the NFL going, oh, really? This is going to be easy. <laughs> this is going to be easy. And then well, the because he got a 10... sack in each of his first three yeah. games, and he's yeah. like, this is fantastic. Yeah. And he's probably, you know, and then all of a sudden, uh, I think this is probably one of the reasons why he put on some weight because I feel like he, he was able to, to get some pressures, but I feel like there's that last gear that he still needs to develop, and I think that's kind of that power gear where he feels like a little bit more weight, leverage. You know, He's got a great bend. So does Thibodeau. Those guys can really cut the edge, but I feel like a lot of times when they do bend like that, the power after you do that may not be there in in the strength of their legs and things like that. So I think that's what he's coming from. The team didn't ask him to do it, but him self-studying, understanding what he went through. And I'm sure that he'll be able to bring – now, listen, Aziz is a rookie last year, so it's not like he's a 10-year veteran here. Sure. But the fact is that I'm sure that he's going to be able to talk to Thibodeau about some of these things. They're very similar in size. And so I feel like he's going to have to maybe give him a little bit of you know insight on what he went through his rookie year, what he's going to go through – and they can talk collectively about that, and I think that'll be really interesting to watch. I, I'm just excited to, about Wink. I think that he's got, you know, talk about Wink, Wink. He's going to Wink. He's, <laughs> I mean, there's going to be guys lined up like, hey, look at this one. You know, like, okay, wh- why is there only one defensive lineman in the game right now? You know, you got linebackers everywhere. You got six defensive backs in the f- I mean, this, it's going to be fun. But, I mean, you know, that's it puts a lot of pressure on those guys when they do that. But I feel like, you know, when you are game planning – for an, for an opponent that does multiple things, it's a distraction. You've got to prep more and more at practice every week because, you know, if you're just a base 3-4 defense or 4-3 defense and you don't do a lot of blitz in here and there and you play this kind of coverage, you know, you can get by during the week with practices, Lance, but when you got a Wink Martindale defense it's all over the place, man, these guys are running out of ink. They, got, they don't have enough Sharpies in the building to write up all these cards for practice. <laughs> well, Jeff, I'm glad you brought that up. One final point before we open up the phone lines mm-hmm. here that I wanted to get to, which is one of the other things that I noticed when I was crunching some numbers recently. Over the four years 
that Wink was the defensive coordinator for Baltimore. That was 2018 to 2021. I know he was a linebacker's coach prior to that, but I'm only focusing on when he actually ran the defense. Do you know, Jeff, that not one Ravens player had a double-digit sack season? How many How many of those uh, those defensive guys had, like, you know, between 5 and 10? Well, that's what I was going to get to, and you read my mind. <laughs> that's why, no, that's why I'm glad the way you worded it where you said how many guys the offense needs to account for because I wouldn't be surprised because I think, you know, everybody loves to project the numbers. This could be a team where you have – one guy with four, another guy with five, another guy with six, seven, and then maybe the leading sack guy has eight and a half mm -hmm. or eight sacks because yeah. that was the breakdown for Baltimore. And I think part of that is, Jeff, when he blitzes so much, different guys are going to get different opportunities sure. when yeah. the offense all of a sudden starts to shift its attention. So the reason I bring that up is because I know a lot of people, they have these dreams of grandeur. We oh, had the sure. same conversations, right, about Leonard Williams. Oh, Leonard had 11 and a half sacks two years ago. He's absolutely going to do that again. And then what happened? He only got six and a half because he only did that once in his career. So the point I'm bringing up is the Ravens had some good pass rushers. They had, Jeff, they had Zadarius Smith in mm -hmm. 2018. He finished with eight and a half sacks. That was their leading guy. Then Matt Judon, who was there in 2019, he led them with nine and a half sacks. Then the following year, Judon was the leading guy again, and you know how many sacks he had? He had Eight. six. That's what <laughs> led the team. And then last year was Tyus Bauer, who had seven. So mm -hmm. that's four years of a sample size. I understand it's different personnel. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I think the theme was it was piecemeal. It wasn't one guy being the home run hitter. So don't be surprised if this yeah. season – the leading sack guy is actually under 10 sacks. It's a great point. Uh, it's, you know, it's a great discussion, uh, good homework. And I tell you, you know, um, the media yesterday was asking Aziz Ozolari. Oh, you know, yeah, you know, of course. Oh, yeah. What why are you talking? They said, what, 12, 14 sacks? What do you, what do you they think? They were beating him so much, Jeff. They he were trying to get him to I, They really were. They, they, that was like the final question. There was three was, leading yeah. up to it, you know, just kind of getting. And those Correct. guys are smooth. Yeah. Uh, he handled it pretty good. He said, hey, man, leave it up to God. You know, we're just trying to win. We're just trying to win out here for sure. So he didn't throw out a number, thank God. Um, you know, you, hopefully those guys do learn. Um, I guess when you play in the SEC and you're around media, you know, you and you and you come out of college, you're you're pretty good. Some of these guys just, you know, they they, they throw up over the media. You just can't do that. You know, don't put a number out there. <laughs> don't do that. No, do not do that at all. They'll <laughs> hold good, that over your head the entire season. It's a very interesting point, and I tell you, you know. Um, we don't have to do it now, but I, I would be interested to see from the safety position, your box safety from that, uh, uh, excuse me, the Ravens defense, what are some of the sack numbers from those safeties and corners too? I bet well, I'll give you those numbers. I mean, I have okay. pretty much okay. them up, so I'll go backwards. Let's see. Last season, your safeties, but keep in mind, remember, they were plagued by injuries, Jeff, at this sure. position. So yeah, maybe more like the year before. Correct, the best indicator, but Clark and Elliott, who were their main two safeties, those guys only had one sack apiece. Okay. So last year was not a very productive campaign with respect to that. In terms of 2020's totals, let me bring those up with respect to the secondary, and this, of course, was the year that Matt Judon led the team with six sacks. So this was actually a year where they didn't have as high. They actually had 39 sacks as a team, but at the safety position, let's see, Elliott had two and a half. He played all 16 games that year, and Clark also played all 16, and he had one and a half. So you got mm -hmm. four sacks, to answer okay. your question, Jeff, out of your two safeties. And then as far as your corners go, Jimmy Smith, he only had one sack. But here's the thing. If you get six, seven sacks, and yeah. Marlon Humphrey, who was the other corner, he gave you two and a half. So as I'm adding it up, Jeff— you wound up getting the four members of your secondary. They gave you about six or seven sacks, which actually is not bad. Well, if you if have you 40 take all sacks, those guys you, combined. Yeah, I mean, 10% is four, right? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I don't know what, what would be a good number if you went and looked at some of these other teams that their, their secondary has a lot more. But I don't uh, know about that, Jeff. I would say that's probably on the high side. For a secondary to walk away with six. seven, eight sacks, I would say that's got to be on the high of the NFL. Yeah.
You don't yeah. see those numbers evenly across the board. So more to your point is that share the wealth, right? I mean, that's that's kind of the, the MO for Wink is that these guys are going to get opportunities, not 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 just a few guys. Everyone's going to get their chance to get a lick on the quarterback. And I think from – and by the way, from all over the place. They're, sure. they're going to be – I mean, don't be surprised. You see a strong safety line up in the two, two, you know, two gap and some just shoot through there. I don't know. It's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be good. But you know what? The whole thing about Wink's defense is you got to find the guys to do what he wants you to do, and that's and that's that comes from being multiple. You got to be able to be very versatile, be able to play in some of the positions with your hand in the dirt, standing up, um, speed, of course, and then you like those big cornerbacks to be able to hug those guys going down the field playing that man press coverage because you know these guys are gonna. They're going to try to get the ball out quickly because you know of the of the propensity for blitzes and pressure. And you have to be well-disciplined because if you're going to have guys going after the quarterback from the secondary, you better make sure that the other guys who have the assignment on the back end are on the same page so that you don't have breakdowns and you give up big plays. Because yeah. what happened last season is, and I think this was a product of the injury bug, but the Ravens gave up a number of big plays because sometimes when you're a little over-aggressive, the back end is exposed, and good quarterbacks are going to cash in and take advantage of that. All right, let's nope. open up. You wanted to mention something nope. real quick, nope. Jeff? Oh, okay. nope. I thought nope. I heard perhaps something at the tip of your tongue, so I did not. <laughs> well, want what to I was going to say real yes. quickly is that you know that you got to be. You're right. You got to be disciplined on that defense because when there's blitzes and multiple blitzes, there it leaves gaps, and yep. not not gaps in the line of scrimmage, but gaps in in coverage so you got to make sure that you are in the right coverage and you are on the right man that you don't give up a big play by having a guy run you know down the middle of the field or just you know wide open in the middle of the field so those are the things you have to and again you know, this is a new defense for these guys there are a few guys that have played in this system so um you're going to see a lot you're not going to see a lot in preseason because you just don't give away stuff like that but you know, you're going to see it in practice. There's going to be some big plays in practice because guys are just not ready to to play this type of defense yet until they, they get the reps. And, you know, I think that early in the season, as we always say, the defense is way ahead of the offense. Well, I would say way ahead, but they're ahead. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with this defense too because I think this is a hard defense to play. It's a fun one to play. And don't get me wrong, I think that a lot of people – think that, oh, this wink defense, you just line up anywhere and go. That's all you're going to have to do. You don't have to worry about anything <laughs> else. No, that's not what's going to happen. Uh, real quickly, I know that Mike Kafka had mentioned that how impressed he was with, with Daniel Jones's uh, mental and the IQ, football IQ. Um, and by the way, if you that's something that's really, it's imperative that your quarterback has that type of um, football acumen because if you don't, you're, you're, that's where the mistakes happen. And the quarterback position is the hardest one to play because of defenses don't let on to what they're doing until the last second. And so you're you be you gotta be able to you know you process information quickly. And I think that's why these quarterbacks get paid the money they do, and all the the evaluation goes into the draft with these quarterbacks because they put them through a you know a litany of drills and tests and things like that because they got to have confidence that you're going to be able to do it on the field. Well, and given how many different offenses he's played in over the course of his small career, you need a strong IQ because you're going to have to learn a new offensive scheme. And that was the other thing that Mike Kafka mentioned, the fact that Daniel has at least caught on to the system relatively quickly, which is key as they try to build chemistry with the rest of the roster. All right, a few reminders before we open up the phone lines here. Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash suites for this one for more information. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Vinny is in Florida. He gets us going on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Vinny? Hey, guys. How you doing? Great Good. to hear you again. I've got a, a bold prediction, a comment, and a question. The question I'll take off the air. So let me start with the bold prediction. We have built up the offensive line. I think it's going to gel based on what I'm hearing. I'm just hopeful more than thinking. Uh, but I think the coming out 
of Danny Dimes is going to happen this year. Bold prediction: 30, 30 plus touchdown passes. He's going to realize why, and we're going to have we're going to win games and score points. Why? So I'm sure everybody why. <laughs> yeah, I'm not uh, doubting you. I hope he does. Hope. I'm just I'm just. What is the indicator here? <laughs> blind hope. Look how he performed in the first year under Pat Shermer. He's three years more experienced. So let's say he can he can reach the efficiency on touchdowns that he had in the in the first year. He can lessen the amount of fumbles and turnovers, which he's done well in the last two years. So I'm saying with a guy like the Babel and, and Kafka that he's got the right guidance because it's all about learning and teaching. And he's got the right guidance mm-hmm. to uh, be an effective quarterback. So I'm, um, sure. some of it is just hoping, but I think those are some sound reasons on why he could improvement drastically. I mean, Makes he's a great athlete, except. Makes sense. I got, got a I new offensive it, line, too. You know, that's going to help yeah. also. Yeah. yeah. I don't and, even know, though, if, I don't even know if bold prediction is doing that justice. I mean, that's whatever the leg up from bold is with that prediction, because <laughs> the one thing I'll throw out, Vinny, is you be hard-pressed to find other quarterbacks in NFL history that have gone plus 20 touchdowns in the span of one season. Josh Allen who actually made some impressive strides, he didn't even improve his touchdown total by 20. Because remember, Daniel Jones threw 10 touchdown passes last season. If you think he's going to get over yeah. 30, that means he's, he's plus 20 and even more so. I, listen, I'm not saying that Daniel's not going to improve. I would be stunned if Daniel has 20-plus more touchdowns this season than the previous year, given how very rare and almost impossible that is in NFL history. Well, compare what happened last year after Dimes got hurt. Now, granted, those are not elite quarterbacks in Glennon, and, and, but, but it, they went from, hey, they're not doing good offensively to basically the, maybe the worst offense in the history of football. I mean, they, they were quarterback drawing at the five-yard Well, but Vinny, to me, I, I don't mean to cut you off. To me, that's irrelevant. I'm just looking at what Daniel did. Yeah. Daniel played 11 games yeah. before he got hurt and only had 10 touchdowns. Now, I understand it's a new offense, so you can't put a lot of substance in that, but Jeff and I heard all of these phone calls this time last offseason. Jeff, right, how many calls came up and we were predicting Daniel Jones' stats? And I can't tell you how many people were saying, oh, he's going to get into the 30s. And I said, Josh Allen only went up by 17. <laughs> and Daniel went from last season, he had 10, he had 11 in 2020. So he actually went yeah. down by one touchdown pass between the two seasons. How often, how often does a guy go from 24 to 11? Because I think that was offensive line and scheme of Joe Sure, Judge that absolutely was. Really yeah. No, and, so and that's, that's a fair point. Happen either. Well, but, but well, that's a fair point. But even, even that dip, Vinny, even with that dip, that's minus 13. You're yeah. talking about yeah. plus 20, plus 21, okay? Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm hoping about plus six from year one. That's my optimism. My other comment before I have the question was I'm really concerned about the secondary. Young press corners is, is something that scares me. And if we can score offensively, I'm just hoping that we might be able to catch lightning in a bottle with either Rodarius Williams. I, I mean, I know he was a late-round draft pick, but I think that was because of his age. And he's what's going to be 26, so hopefully he heals up. But I'm really concerned about our secondary. And then I'll make a final comment. Uh, this is more of a question to you guys. Over the last couple of years, we looked at Peppers and Ingram, got the fifth-year um, options picked up by the Giants, and they're gone to the team. I'm a little bit concerned um, with Saquon getting it picked up last year that even if he has a great year, he might not be on the team for financial reasons. And then this year, Dexter Lawrence and Danny Dimes, Danny Dimes didn't get picked up. And if he has a good year, he may be the only guy out of the three that actually gets a second contract with the uh, team. So my question is, is that normal that that happens? The last four to five um, don't, don't get re-signed on the team, and then the guy that doesn't get the option – does get re-signed. And I'll take that off the air. Thanks a lot. You guys are awesome. All right, Vinny. Appreciate the phone call. Well, I think it all depends on the production, how what happens there, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I, that's a hard thing to go look at. That's a lot of that's a lot of people. But um, I don't know. What do you think, Lance? It's um, well, I think it goes based on also. It, it's interesting he brought up those players because what's the also common element, Jeff? You had a new regime come in. 
Yeah. So yeah. when you have a GM and a coaching staff, Peppers, he didn't work with Joe Shane and Brian Dable. Mm -hmm. And he left at free agency this year. So they were under no obligation. The man who made the trade is no longer the general manager of the team. Mm -hmm. And then you talk about some of those other players like Saquon Barkley. They didn't draft Saquon Barkley. If they choose to let him go after give him the season, option either. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, all of those factors, it's a product of, my response would be, it's a product of turnover rate at the coaching level and the front office for the Giants. The goal is always to retain as many draft picks as possible, right? That's how you want to build a team. I don't have the numbers in front of me in terms of average, but I would say the good teams, the teams that are able to maintain consistency, if you go back, you'll find that the majority of their top picks receive second contracts, regardless of whether or not they picked up the options. And probably it's also because the general manager, Jeff, that drafted those players and the coaches were still around when they were due for their second contract. So that's the reason why I don't think you've had a high success rate with the Giants. You've had too much change. That's been the biggest stumbling block. Good point. I think the biggest thing is change. There was just too much change in there. Um, and, you know, we always go back to, you know, a new organization, they're going to bring in their own guys. And they're not particularly forced to keep the ones that are there unless they're, you know, a salary cap uh, situation where they can't afford to get rid of them. Sure. Um, and by the way, Dexter Lawrence belongs in this conversation, too. Well, now, they just picked up his option, but he's another guy who was not drafted mm -hmm. by the current regime. Now, they did exercise his option, but that's not necessarily a lock that he's going to get a second contract. Um, no, no, it's not. And it's just, uh, you know, you get a guaranteed fifth year and, you know, you're 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 a guy in that situation. I mean, Dexter Lawrence could be a franchise guy. Um, maybe, I don't, you know, maybe down the line if he has a really good year, but I, I think that, you know, the good thing about that fifth year is it's guaranteed and that, you know, that puts a little bit of, um, good taste in your mouth as a player knowing that, okay, they're, they, they, they like me, they're going to guarantee my money. I'm going to get paid. And, and now I got to go out and have it because you're still in a contract year now. You know, so I think you yeah. only, you're playing, you're not only playing for the team you want to stay with, hopefully if they can give you a good deal, but you're also, you know, trying out for 31 other teams. So that's, that's a good thing. Well, and here's the other thing, Jeff, that I'd be curious your perspective of, having played the game and understanding the ins and outs of the financial system. If you're a defensive tackle like Dexter Lawrence, and maybe he has player versatility, so I wouldn't necessarily label him one way or the other, but I don't think teams are going to knock down doors to give him defensive and pass rusher money. That's my point. He won't get so, it. My point is, I guess, then wouldn't it make sense then? Wouldn't it be a luxury to have the security of the franchise tag and the guaranteed money mm -hmm. as opposed to testing the waters in the market where, let's face it, those interior defensive linemen, unless you have sack potential mm -hmm. and high sack potential, you're not getting a lot of money from yeah. other teams. So I think it's actually maybe more beneficial to get the franchise tag if you're that type of a player. Oh, 100%. Yeah, because you're getting, you know, you're getting the average of those, I don't know what is the top 3, 5, whatever the number is, but that that's going to push your number up pretty good. I, I you know, I think there is definitely a um, you know, there's a peak in in for those positions. Those guys aren't getting the edge rusher not no numbers. They're never never going to. But I look at the guys that have left the Giants in the past and gone to those other teams. Um They've they've gotten pretty good deals, you know. Um, off the top of my head, now I'm trying to remember the guys I'm talking about. Hello. Uh, well, Fred, who are we talking about? Some of the well, interior we're talking guys. About, okay, I'll like give you an example. Linval Joseph, you're referring Linval to. Joseph. I'll give you an example. Okay. Freddie. Um, uh, well, actually, Dalvin Tomlinson too is another Dalvin guy. Dalvin Tomlinson. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, Freddie Robbins was a guy that came here and got some good money. Yep. Um, you know, so those guys, I think that when the timing's right, and you know, the team will tell them if they're going to make them a good deal. But I really feel like. Those guys are capped out to a certain point, and I think that if, if you can take, you know, you get the franchise, you should be pretty happy about it. Because, by the way, the franchise tag is they're telling you, let's just give us a little bit more time to get a deal together. That's kind of what that is, right? So, um, or they just say, you know, we don't, we don't want to do anything right now. We can't come to an agreement, but we're going to pay you the, the guaranteed salary for the year, and then we'll see what happens. Especially if you adopt a new scheme, it makes more sense to maybe buy yourself a little bit more time as opposed well, to lock in a player. Yeah, in fact, how about this? How about, um, well, let's get a guy like Dexter, okay? You got, he's, this is on his third coaching staff. <laughs> Think yep. about that, right? So, um, you know, and what if those defensive coordinators were playing him a little bit out of position and now the new staff comes in and needs that type of guy to play that position that they want him to play and they've got themselves a good player, there's a good chance he's going to get an extension because they've got the guy, you know? So sometimes people... 
actually, they, when the coaching staff changes over, uh, the new system, their position doesn't really align with who he is. And that's why sometimes they get rid of these guys. And that's why we've seen players go to other teams and all of a sudden they put up numbers and you're like, well, where did this come from? Right. Because it's just a better fit. And that's just not at the linebacker. Them. I yeah. mean, at the, that could be in any position, you know. Um, Absolutely. No matter what it is, running back, lineman, you know, like Feliciano. I mean, maybe he's gonna, maybe goes to the Pro Bowl as a center this year. Never played center before. So we'll see what happens. Let's head back to the phone lines. Dave is in Cranford, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Dave? Hi, Dave. How are you guys? How are you, Jeff? Good. Good to hear from you. You too, guys. Sorry I've uh, been away. So anyway, I'm back. and, and We're it's glad you're back. To, to listen. Well, thank you, and glad you guys are, are doing good. Um, I guess, you know, I think the most important uh, piece of information that's come out and, and uh, you know, over the last number of weeks in interviews, in my opinion, is, and, and you hear Dayball, like, doubling down on it because he, I think the first time he said it was a couple weeks ago, and um, he said it again yesterday, and that is, you know, taking the the leash off of of Daniel Jones and and telling him to be aggressive and not not being afraid, and and you know, um, I think that you know the way things unfolded, I, I look at it very similar. You know, Jeff, this would be near and dear to your heart, and that is, you know, if you ever hear how caddies talk to professional golfers, mm-hmm. and one of the things that professional caddies do that people like me don't do jeff does mostly but um (laughs) well well listen that'd be one jeff um no but it's it's more like you're you know you're sitting over you know a a five iron and you you gotta hit it over the water and you know the the hackers like me are saying before i'm swinging my thought is don't hit it into the water (laughs) don't hit it into the water Mm -hmm. The, the professional caddies are saying to guys that actually can you hit it to the right place. They don't say don't to them. It's not a word that professional caddies use. They don't say can't to them. They say, hey, you're going to hit this ball, you know, um, you know, 190 onto the upper level, and, and that's where we're putting from. So, you know, here's your, here's your six iron. Go hit it 190. And, and, you know, so there's something to me about that change. Besides, there are so many. I can't wait to Warren Sharp comes on and talks about the difference of how this offense is going to look. But forget all that stuff. I could talk all day about that. The biggest difference is going to be that attitude of Dayball saying to Jones, the reason Jones is going to make such a big jump is going to be because of that attitude and and that confidence and being able to and, sure. and bring out from Jones that level of play. Well, I will tell you this. Um and thank you for the golf reference. I relate to every single thing you said. Trust me. I've, uh, you know, we all have, if you had fortunate to have caddies at the club you play, and some of them are good, some of them are horrible. But the fact is, is that this goes in line with football because, you know what, if you're confident in something, then you're going to do well. And if you're positive about that, and, and I can tell you this, that Coach Dable is going to do that for, for Daniel Jones. He's a very positive individual. You're going to get to know this guy through the media. He's, he's, he's energetic. He's, he's building a, you know, something in that building. There's a, there's a vibe. Yep. There's an energy. That's coming from Brian Dable. That's going to carry over to Daniel Jones. But by the way, Daniel Jones is not an excitable guy, if you've ever noticed it. He's just very ho-hum, kind of this and this. He's going to get excited to play football. But I will tell you this. As a player, you are dead in the water when you get on that field and think that you can't do something, okay? There's a lot of times that comes into your mind, but you got to be mentally tough and learn. This is something you learn. You don't just do this all the time. You have to learn how to react to negative energy and in your mind and things like that. And kicking is all about having positive thoughts, you know, because there's days when you get on that field, it's windy, it's cold. Your mind is telling you you can't do something. But this is all the work that you do with your mental game, and these all the players do this. They got to be able to be mentally tough on the field to get those bad thoughts out of your mind. And that's what Brian Dable is going to do for Daniel Jones, and it's a great point. Is he's going to yeah. he's going to make him uh, a better player, and it's just going to be up to him to execute it. Well, that's why he was I, saying I think... to the media the other day that he wants him to try to test those tight windows in practice, so that if you do feel that you can execute some of those throws. You feel better about allowing him to do those. You've in done games. them before, yeah. Yeah, 
But if yeah, you're throwing yeah. interceptions all the time in those tight Don't windows in practice, then you're not going to have him do yeah. that during the regular season. So this is sort of like the guinea pig stage. Let's test the waters. <laughs> yeah. Let's test the yeah. boundaries. Yeah. And then we'll get determine what we can carry over. Yeah, yeah. we're not going to punish you. Lance, uh, yeah, Lance, I think you bring a great point. There's a, I'll leave you with this. There's a great interview with Phil Sims, I, I think it may, I don't think it was when he was a player. I think it was when he was an analyst and he tells a story about how he was struggling, you know, during the year before the Giants won the Super Bowl, but they were turning the corner and he was struggling and Parcell, and he's walking on the field for an important game and Parcell says to him, hey, Sims, come over here. I want you to, to be aggressive, throw the ball. I'll deal with the media no matter what happens after the game. And Sims went on to tell the story and say he ended up having a great game and it really turned around his personal season. And he said, you know, today, you know, there are too many coaches that are so concerned because of stats of turnovers that they end up taking it away. And if you go look back at Josh Allen, even over the last two years, he's actually thrown a decent amount of interceptions. Mm -hmm. The difference is he's thrown a ton of touchdown passes. Of course. And yeah. so that, that's, the, that's the, the trade off that you sit there and say, it's not like he threw 15 interceptions last year. You know, that's, that's okay. That's good. I'll, I'll well, it's okay right when now, you but... throw for 36 touchdowns, though, mm -hmm. to your point, Dave. Exactly <laughs> I mean, right. You'll Lance. take exactly that trade off. Right. Okay, you'll take that trade off. The problem is Daniel doesn't have that volume to say, okay, Daniel, we can live with 15 to 17 interceptions because you threw 37, 38 touchdowns. I mean, that's – and in order for him to even get to the 37, 38 barometer, you're talking about him, him improving by 27 to 28 touchdowns in one season, which, listen, you I understand the optimism, that, but that's even more than optimism. One and a half. Yeah, well, yes and no, but Lance, at the end of the day, you got to go back to – you know his rookie year. The guy threw 24 touchdown passes, which is which is a which was, by the way, better than 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 many of his 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 counterparts. He has been handcuffed by a system, and when he, when we're and by the way, I'm either right or wrong. We're gonna find out real fast how much the system plays in. It's the one sport where the system is gonna have a big impact, and we're gonna see it. So, thank you guys. Love talking to you. All right, Dave, Dave, thank you. Appreciate the phone call. Yeah, what's up front's going to be a big part of that also. I look at, you know, in the, the past with Daniel Jones, he's been, you know, he's gotten the ball in his hand, and, I mean, he's had no chance, no chance whatsoever. And that plays on a quarterback, you know, time and time and time. Yeah. It's just like the, they call the defense, says, you know, the hits on the quarterback are cumulative. And that, that, that's true. They, they start to hurt, man. They over and over and over and over. And they just cumulatively start getting in your mind. Well, you know what, when you got guys in your face constantly and, you know, look, you lose guys running by you and things like that. I mean, you're not even concentrating on the receivers anymore. You're worried about the guys getting hit in the front. Not that he's not a tough guy. You just got to be able to learn to how you're going to have to hold on to the football. And so it's just, it just throws a monkey wrench into everything. So that's why we always say it's it's all about up front that protection, and now Daniel Jones. Hopefully, he'll get some a little bit more protection than he's had in the past, and that he can go back to the, his rookie year and, and operate the way he did. Um, and and Dave, and I don't know if it was Dave or the caller before it said, you know, if he cuts down on his turnovers and his fumbles and has more time to throw and uses and, and utilizes some of the weapons that he has around him, he can be a very productive quarterback. And I think that's all that the Giants want him to be, you know. But I'll tell you, the point about Josh Allen is that it all goes about being aggressive, okay? And we talked about aggressive on defense. Well, the quarterback position can be aggressive. Look at Brett Favre. How many, how many touchdowns oh, yeah. did he throw? How many interceptions did that guy throw? Tons. Okay? I mean, so that's about, you know, kind of like a, a look, Aaron Rodgers is kind of the – I mean, that guy is very aggressive, but he's also very accurate. He doesn't throw interceptions. And so well, he's the he, opposite end of the spectrum. He is the opposite yeah. end of it, <laughs> and which is just amazing to watch him play. But not everyone is at that level. But well, Daniel if you get Jones, 10 interceptions from Aaron Rodgers, it's like hell freezing over. Holy smokes. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, how many did he go without throwing an interception? Oh, how many? I mean, insane. it was unbelievable. So, yeah. but my point is, is that the quarterback position can be aggressive, but you don't want to be too conservative either because then it's just like, okay, you know. No, you don't want it just to be dumping off every yeah. time. Well, because then the defense is going to get a good read on you, yeah, Jeff, they, and they're yeah. going to be like, this guy doesn't even want to test us on the deep end. <laughs> right, Yeah. right. And they're but, not worried about it because, you correct, know what, he exactly. hasn't thrown enough down the field oh. to think that we can, he can complete one. So we'll give him one-on-one -on -one coverage out there. And in the meanwhile, we'll just blitz them to death.
you know? So um, you have to I, find the balance between both. There has to be a good balance. And I think, you know what, you know what cures that balance or what helps that balance is a good running game because that now the defense can't just, you know, make you one dimensional. And we haven't talked a lot about the running game this year, but, you know, that's going to be important, um, with, especially with this offensive line and the health of Saquon this year. And um, I think that's going to be an important component to that offense about being balanced and giving Daniel Jones a chance if they have a running game. Well, and specifically, I would say the running game in the red zone inside the 20. Well, sure, you bring it in there. Giants have struggled. See, we're talking about Daniel Jones's potential numbers. If Daniel Jones, okay, has a solid touchdown to interception ratio, but you improve the amount of rushing scores you have in the red zone, hey, you'll take that. Who cares how you get the touchdown? Doesn't matter. Right? You just want more efficiency. So I'm also taking that into consideration. That is just as important as Daniel Jones's numbers. But the reason why I keep going back to Josh Allen, I understand we've had a few callers referencing go by his rookie numbers. Well, here's the thing. Josh Allen, Jeff, was with Brian Dable for all four years of his NFL career, meaning Dable came in as the OC when Allen was a rookie. So you want to say, okay, well, Daniel Jones has a little bit more polish because he's more of a seasoned vet. I'll give you that. But even if you look at the trajectory, and this is what I'm getting at, Josh Allen, all four years, I want to go touchdowns here, 10 his first year, 20 his second year, 37 his third year. So the biggest jump came year three, and then he had 36 last season. So he's had back-to-back years where he's been in the 30s. But the first three years, okay, it was slow jumps. Now, you could argue Daniel has more experience than Josh Allen, but still, it wasn't Brian Dable coming in, and then Josh Allen, I'm going to all of a sudden wave the wand, and it's like Mickey Mouse, you know, turning all of a sudden somebody into a superstar here. Mm -hmm. It just, it doesn't work like that. And the other thing about the interceptions, Allen, 15 interceptions was his career high, Jeff, and that was last year, but he had 36 touchdowns. He had 10 the previous year. He actually had a better touchdown-to-interception ratio in 2020, and he had... Nine his second year, so it was 20 to nine, and then he had 12 his first year. So Josh Allen, even early in his career, didn't even scratch the level of surface of Daniel Jones's interceptions. And I would also throw in, obviously, some of the fumbling because that's not just the INTs that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the ball security in terms of when you're running as well. Yeah. I, I guess so if we had to guess and we were doing over-under here, um, you know, so you mentioned the – the levels that Josh Allen went up, 7, 10, yep. 17, you know, so where would we put Daniel Jones in this? And this is just all hypotheticals here, but I, I would put him ahead of his of, of Josh Allen as a rookie, and maybe I would put him in there as a second year, you know, maybe because he hasn't played all that. I mean, he's been hurt, and I would say so the second year. So he had 10 touchdowns last year. So would it be good to say, or would it be the over-under for me would be 19, 18 and a half? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think there's potential. Could he improve by 14 touchdowns? Could he get back to his rookie level? Well, remember, he threw 10 with only how many games did he play? Oh, you're talking about the totals? Yeah, last year. He threw 10 in 11 games. Okay, he played 11. So, I mean, that's about a touchdown a game if you do the math. And then he had 11. The previous year he played 14 games. He had 11 touchdowns, so that's less than a touchdown pass a game. Okay, so could, could he go to one and a half? per game to get him to 17, half of 17, 8 and 8 to 25, 26. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a significant jump. I mean, that's why I would put, Jeff, that to me would be the high side. The ideal circumstance would be to get him, right, to that 25, 26 parameter because that's, you're saying he's getting a plus 16 boost. But, you know, a few callers ago, and I understand it was labeled as a bold prediction. All right, we're having some fun, too. But he also was extremely confident that Daniel Jones could get into the 30s. No. And that, to me, is extreme. Would That's 20, insane. Would, would, if, you're, if you're Joe Shane and Brian Dable, and I gave you that the, the 2022 season, Daniel Jones came out of there with 29 touchdowns and 16 interceptions. Okay, Three I'd be four. blown away if that's his numbers. I would be. I would take that and run. And if would that's you? What he gets would that? Would that be? Season. Would that be enough to say to you? I'm. I'm going to go with this guy for a four-year, five-year deal. I don't know if I'd be four or five years, but it certainly. I think it would give me enough based on what he does year one in the system to feel good about a franchise tag or a short-term deal where the team has an option as well as he has an option. 
I think okay. I'd feel good. Because remember, Jeff, at the end of the day, and I've said this multiple times, it's only going to be one season. I know. Do you really yeah. want to commit after one, regardless of how good or whatever it well, may be that you want to label it, uh, one it, season, that's it. That's hard. all it is. It's hard, but the fact is this. You know how hard it is to find quarterbacks. And I don't care. Sure. We do not know how good any of these quarterbacks coming out of college are going to be in the National Football League. At least we have some substance with Daniel Jones in this conversation for what he did in the 2022 season in this conversation. To me, I don't want to go. I'm, I'm okay with those numbers, knowing that I'm going to be in year two of a system. And if in year one I put up those numbers, what am I going to do in year two? So, um, yeah, I'm with you. I would probably do that. Now, I think that if we were playing numbers games, we would have to come up with what isn't good enough, right? Just as we, as we would say what is good enough. So, um, and I don't want to put, I don't want to come with those numbers, but I feel, feel like to me, if Daniel Jones is playing well but can't stay on the field, <laughs> now what do you do? Yeah, well, I think, you know, that, that to me would solidify the biggest narrative and concern. That would be every yeah. single season, Jeff, that he's been with That's the team right. that yeah. he have an injury. Yeah. I mean, you, what else more do you have to see at this point? Yeah, you, you know? kind of you make the bed, you sleep in there, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just that's the way it is. And you know what? You have proven to us in, in four years now that you can't stay on the field. Um, how am I going to be able to pay you all this money if we can't have somebody? And granted, you know, there isn't too many guys like Brett Favre that don't miss games and Eli Manning. Those guys are just anomalies in this sport. But, you know, you got to give me 14 games, right? I mean, there's going to be a concussion in there. There's the going to be something. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, come on. I mean, uh, I think the way that the league is playing nowadays and as far as how player safety at the quarterback position, you can't even – you can't even, like <laughs> – can't even I don't know what I'm trying you can't even get near the guy anymore so I mean I feel like you should be able to play you know most of the games I really do let's head back to the phone lines and we check in with Ralph in Florida Ralph welcome to the big blue kickoff live what do you got for us hey Lance hey Jeff uh, hello just call it Jeff you stole some of my thunder with the with oh the that's all right Lance. come on with you, it again it's all good. It's all good. Hey, Lance, just a question. I understand what you mean by the 30s, like astronomical sometimes. But if you think about it, like you said, he only played 10 games last year. Even if he averaged uh, half a touchdown a game, you're talking about almost 15 touchdowns. So it's, you, that's 15 touchdowns that you're looking to make the 30. I'm not saying he's getting 30. Believe you me. I'll take his rookie year. I'll take 24 with 10 interceptions. And Saquon Barkley has 12 rushing touchdowns. If that's what if that's what's going to win games, I'm good with that. To me, that's a successful season for Danny Jones. That to me gets him a franchise tag. If he throws 24 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, Barkley runs for 12 touchdowns, and the Giants win nine or 10 games, do you, do you sign up for that? Sure, I think that would be extremely promising results, and that would be almost like ceiling type of achievements that we're talking about. I mean, that would be pretty much everything falling in line and falling into place. So I don't think the team would complain from that standpoint. But, you know, once again, your averages are all based on you're assuming he's going to play all 17 games and he's going to get true. that, you know, one and a half to two touchdowns a game. If you were to tell me that I can bank on him for playing 17 games, is it crazy to think he could get to 24 touchdowns? No, not at all. But, I mean, that's still a little bit of rolling the dice considering he's never done that before. Exactly. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying the way when he played on the Sherman, which I think Sherman's system was fit for him. It was wide open. It was more time to throw the ball. It was actually more more receivers out in the field. It's now that you see when Judge and Garrett, they basically put their reins on him. The receivers weren't getting open. He wasn't with his full complement of weapons. So I guess I'm just saying, listen, everybody, we're all optimistic as Giants fans because we are. And Dable and Kafka bringing the new concepts to Casey. Everybody wants to think about it. To me, it's just let's see if this offensive line can give him time and let's see if Daniel Jones can make the, make the jump. Because if he does, then that would be great. We don't have to look for a quarterback next draft. We could get that extra piece that we need to go make a nice playoff run next year. You understand what I'm saying? Because getting a quarterback, to me, is setting the team back. Because hoping that rookie quarterback is able to step in and do a good job and get your team ready sets you back a year or two. So I'd rather have what a, a known commodity if, if Daniel Jones is the guy. Like I said, if he gets his rookie numbers as far as 24 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, I think that's a franchise tag. I'm not saying we sign them long-term. Franchise tag them. And then from there, we go pick up a nice piece to see if we can add to make building a building a playoff contender team. 
Yeah, All and right. I think that's a sound game plan and appreciate the phone call, mm-hmm. Ralph. Uh, once again, the franchise tag is a strong weapon because it gives you the flexibility to hold on to your quarterback without necessarily locking him up long term. And you say, okay, hey, I like what I saw year one in the system. Now let's see if we could do it all over again. If it works out, great. If not, you're not obligated then to hold on to him beyond that. Yep. And I think that everybody wants, including, I mean, it would make it a lot easier, right? I mean, if Daniel Jones went out there and played 17 games and threw for 4,800 uh, yards and 31 touchdowns, <laughs> I'm okay. Give him the franchise. We'll work something out then. I'm, I'm okay with that. that. But that's what you want. But more importantly, Lance, like we talked about it, we want health. We want health. We want him on the field just like everybody else. You can't not win games without your quarterback being on the field. And if people are looking at the rookie year as a foundation and can he get a little bit in that ballpark a little bit higher, then once again, I think that would be a very nice outcome. It's just once again, you know, this is also not Shermer's system, keep in mind. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not as if there's that continuity factor. And we're also three seasons removed from that rookie year too. And if you even go back to those numbers, you could argue that, The good games, the good production didn't necessarily come against the top-tier elite defenses and elite teams. That was the other thing. Now, granted, he was a rookie. So, you know, he was still getting his feet wet and um, the NFL teams were getting a feel for him. So there's a lot to digest with respect to that. But I'm not hanging on to what happened three years ago. I'm looking at more of the more recent stuff regardless of the change of the system. Yep. So that's – Pretty much it for today's edition of Big Blue Kickoff. Good show, guys. Good good, show. Yeah, good conversation. And uh, some good mathematics in play, too, in terms of what we're projecting and what we're anticipating will come alive in 2022. A reminder that today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. So enjoy the weekend. We'll be back up and running again on Monday at noon Eastern as we continue the conversation looking over the Giants offseason. Stay locked on Giants.com for all the latest. For Jeff Eagles, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the weekend, and we'll speak to you on Monday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.